Good morning. It is good to be here this morning and worshiping with you all. And we are continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to chapter 9. Um, that's where we're going to be today. Two weeks ago, we took a look at what true worship looks like and, and what it means to approach the throne of God in worship, to guard our steps, um, and to draw near to God as he draws near, draws near to us. And that concept that true worship is coming to hear from God. Um, and, and so we, we meditated on that. We spent time looking at that. Uh, and then last week, Chad preached on uh, the value of seeing our money and looking at uh, how we live wisely with our money. And this week, we're going to actually kind of move into an end-of-life theme. So I'm sure when you got your bulletin today, you opened it up and you looked at that handout and you thought, oh, man, this is going to be great. I know that's exactly what you thought how to prepare to die well. I know that's what everyone, you know, they've asked me to do a TED talk on it. I've just said, no, you know, just not ready yet. It is just such a great look though at something that we've all thought about. But sometimes when we think about death, we're not always thinking of it as a welcome thing. And so today we're gonna take a look at this from a biblical perspective and look at the, what the preacher, uh, the writer, King Solomon, um, says about this. Uh, and I'm sure in your heading, it's similar to what mine says in, in the beginning of, of chapter 9. It says, death comes to all. He starts, that's it, death comes to all. And I want you to think about what, what was it like at the last funeral you attended? Isn't, it, isn't there something about attending a funeral that we just, we just feel this very much a sense of our mortality, that we are mortal, that there's an end? And there's a time in which when that happens, there's nothing else we can do, that there absolutely is an end. Have you ever thought about your own funeral? I've thought about my own funeral quite a bit, and, and I wonder who's going to speak at it. Um, and I hope that I'm living a life in a way that they don't have to lie too much at my funeral. Uh, but I wonder, what will I wear? What will the songs be? What, what, what parts of my life? You know, we've got maybe 30 minutes they're going to share about your life. What stories do you think they're going to tell? Who knows? Maybe you haven't even lived those stories yet that will be told at your funeral. I don't know. But there's surely a, a, a promise um, that the ratio is one to one, that for one birth, there's one death. Uh, and, and unless the Lord comes back before then, that's a certainty for all of us. And so we need to live in a way as, as if we are preparing for that reality. And so that'll be the time that we will spend this morning is focusing on this, looking at this. So the title of the sermon is Life and Death. And the major doctrine I want to defend is that while life is unpredictable and death certain, live with intention so as to prepare for death. And, and I want that to be something that we walk away from, that, that death is, is unescapable. It's, it's a certainty. And while life is unpredictable, there's still a way that we can live with intention, preparing for that day that we die, um, because that is something that's, that's, that's wise for us to do. And so the, the two places we're going to stop this morning, we're going to take a look uh, at the point that death is an event, and we're going to make some distinctions there. And then we're going to look at the second point, which we'll unpack with a, with a topic of life as a, prop, as a process. So you'll see those two major headings in your bulletin so you can follow along with me. Um, but as we get started this morning, before we read our scripture, I do want to put a question up for you to consider. How many years, months, weeks, or days do you have left to live? Have you ever thought about that? 
I know it's like super exciting. You know, hey, one more day off, right? You know, two jars, right? And then here's the jars with all the jelly beans of my life to live, and here's the one all the days that have passed. And I just take one from here and drop it in here, and it's a great thing to watch. You know, as this passes equilibrium, and I have fewer days to live than I've already lived, right? You ever see, you ever see those analogies? And just as I was sitting there, I was thinking. I wonder when I'm going to die. If I make it to 83, that means that I'm going to die in 2069. All right, give me another 50 years from now. Maybe I'll make it to 93, so 2079. But probably in the 2070s or 2080s, if nothing else happens, that's probably when I'm going to die. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what decade that looks like for you. But that's a reality we've all got to face, and I know that we're all uplifted thinking about that. So if you will, stand and we will begin reading our text. We're going to read chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. That's where we're going to focus our time this morning. But all this I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether there's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil. To the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all also. The hearts of the children of men, of man, are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. That he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. So King Solomon is, is giving us this, this, this somewhat pensive reality, this somber thought that death comes to all. It doesn't matter how you live and so I want to take a look at this idea, death as an event. Um, and, and, and the first thing that I want us to look at is that death is an event that will happen for certain. You see in verse 2, he says, But with all this I laid to heart and examined it all, how the righteous and the wise and the deeds are in the hand of God. Wherefore is the hate? He goes on and on and basically gives this idea that it makes no difference. The, whether you're righteous or you're a sinner, or if you're one who offers sacrifices, if you're one who abstains from sacrifices, if you're one who keeps the oath or one who shuns oaths, it doesn't matter if you're clean or you're dirty. The event is happening to everyone. Death 
is an event that no one can escape. And so he lays the groundwork saying that this is exactly where we are headed, every one of us. And it's interesting because um, in our culture, in our culture isn't different than, than, than many cultures in the past in this reality that we are all trying to distance ourselves from death. Um, how much time and money is spent in, in trying to um, distance ourselves from death or even mask over the appearance of death as it takes its toll on our bodies, right? Um, I'm reminded of the uh, uh, interviewee. There was a show that, that was on, and they, they had a, 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 uh, a cosmologist come on to speak. Um, but really what was they were looking for was a cosmetologist to talk about makeup. And the guy gets there, and he's this Ph.D. in cosmology, and he understands how the space, you know, all the planets move and all that cool stuff. And he sits down, and they start to, and he's, he's like, I think you got the wrong person. I'm, I have a PhD in cosmology, not cosmetology. So they were thrown off. But the funny thing is, is the root word of both of them, the cosmos, uh, is, is to, to bring order from chaos. Cosmology, cosmetology, the root, bring order from chaos. So that's there. Every one of us, we're trying to mask over the effects of death uh, and, 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 you know, Facebook is great about reminding us of how old we have gotten, how quickly, right? You look at your, your, your remember, you know, remember five years ago, and you're like, yeah, my hair was black back then. I don't know what happened. And my wife, the other day, when I was kneeling down at the racetrack, she was like, did you put suntan on up there? I'm like, no, no, not yet, <laughs> not yet. But that's what we do. We are trying to distance ourselves from death. We are trying to mask over the appearance of death, but we're all dying. This is the certainty that Ecclesiastes tells us. This is where we're all headed, and no one can stop and say, okay, here I am, and I will go no further. Every one of us is on this path to the day in which we will stand before the Lord, and, we, and, and, and our life will be over. Um, and there's a beauty in that, but there's also a sadness in that, because as far as we know, this is all that there is. This is all that we've really seen. Now, from a Christian perspective, we would say that, that, that there is more than that. But from the day that we became conscious, this is where, where we grew up, this place. This is where we grew up. We, we, we recognize this as our home in a way. And so there is a sadness to that. You know? and, and, and what we have to recognize is that there is nothing that's going to be the same. And all throughout our life, what's guaranteed is change. You look all around you. Change is happening. And we have to grapple with that reality. But for, for the lost, death is an unwelcome event. All right, I want to put that on the screen. I want you to think about that. Write that down if you want to. Death is, for the lost, is always an unwelcome event. Um, because death is an ultimate end to the individualistic story. For the lost, those who do not think that there's anything after this. Now, there's some who, who have different views of what death might look like. But there are definitely some, the materialistic naturalist who would say, there is nothing after death. When your physical body stops moving, when it stops its cause and effect chemical dance, when that's done, there is nothing else. For them, it is absolutely a loss because that is the absolute end of their individualistic narrative. In our world, in our society, that's what it's all about. It's not about the community, it's about my story. And so when death comes, it's an unwelcome end to my narrative. It's an unwelcome end to my self-actualization, right? You remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You've got these physiological things at the bottom, and at the very top, you've got this self-actualization. And that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to actualize our greatest us. But for the lost, when you die, that's over. No more. No more progress. And so death 
For the loss is always an unwelcome event, but for those who are found in Christ, death can be a beautiful event. And there's a difference there. Because for the believer, um, you know, as Paul said, to be apart from the body is to be present with Christ. And so there is this beauty in that for the believer that, the, that we can welcome death in a way in which it's beautiful. And we can recognize, as far as my life has gone, this is all that I've known, but I know that this isn't all that there is. This is all that I've known, but this isn't all that there is. And we look forward to crossing that river, so to speak, from this life into eternity. And I can just visualize Jesus meeting us there. You know, with all of our good intentions, and we want to help all of our friends and our family members, but on that day when you die, and when your family members and your friends die, you can't go the rest of the way with them. You stop on this side of the river. They have to cross over on their own. But for the believer, Jesus Christ, I believe, is there saying, hey, welcome. And he carries them the rest of the way. And this is the reality for the believer that this isn't the end because we also have freedom from all sin and pain. And I've said it a couple of different times, but I've watched a few people die in my life. And, and, and in one particular occasion, I can remember just watching that person take their final breath. And I put my hamburger down. I was eating because we've been at the hospital all day. And, and you just, you, when that happens, you don't really want to eat anymore. You just, you're there. And I can remember being a little bit jealous that that man who just died is done with their fight with sin and, and pain. And I have to keep going. I have to keep marching. But they're done. They're done. But there's a beautiful freedom in that. So for the believer, there's, there's this beauty in being present with Christ, and there's also this beauty of being done with this suffering and this battle with sin. And so I want us to think through this, that death is an event to be prepared for rather than to be planned. You know, this is, a, this is an interesting idea, is that there's a lots of different things in our lives that we can plan, but death isn't one of them. You can prepare for it, but you don't plan it. Just like I said, I don't know when I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die in 2070s or 2080s. That's kind of weird to think about. It's kind of a high number, right? I was born in 1986. Uh, I feel like, you know, uh, uh, 1970 was only 30 years ago. That's how I think. But here's, here's, here's the reality of the situation is that we can't plan our death, but we can prepare for it. And, and, and we can live in such a way that no matter when it happens, because we don't know when it's going to happen for us, you can be making steps to get ready for that event. And, and this is the reality. You see in verse 12, um, he says, he says that, it, that it comes upon us suddenly till the children of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. He's like, you don't know. You can have all the greatest intentions in the world to keep living forever. Great. But it doesn't matter because at some time, suddenly death will come upon you. And in that moment, you can't add another moment to your life. So we cannot plan our deaths, but we can prepare for our deaths. But I'm reminded of, of, of one story that I read about recently. There's a, a gentleman named um, Donald Peters. In 2008, uh, this, this guy was a, was a retired guy from old factory worker up in Connecticut. And every year, he would go buy two lottery tickets. And like clockwork, for, for decades, he would go buy lottery tickets. And well, this November 1st, 2008 was just like every other, and he went and bought his two lottery tickets, one for himself and one for his wife, and he always had the numbers he would choose, and then he would just choose numbers at random uh, according to his wife's request, and he got home to his little trailer home that he lived in and started doing some yard work, and he had a heart attack and died. Well, his wife didn't realize, but 
the two lottery tickets, one of them was actually a winner for $10 million, and she didn't even mess with it for two more months after he died. It was stayed uh, paper clipped up to their calendar in their kitchen. And when she found out how much money it was, she was, she was elated. But for Donald, Donald hit it big, didn't even know, and two hours later had a heart attack doing yard work. Some would say, man, he was lucky, but then some others would say he wasn't lucky. It doesn't really matter for Donald, does it? You have no idea when your time is going to come. You will live your life, and on that day, just as normal, it will be an absolutely normal day for you, more than likely. Unless you're, you know, in a long-term hospice situation, usually for us, it's, it's not like we're going to say, this is the day, I planned it out, here we go. So we've got to live in a way that we are preparing for death, even while we can't plan our deaths. All right? And for the believer, there's wisdom in this. And I want you to consider this statement I want to put up on the screen. Death is either an unwelcome ultimate end or an ultimate welcomed freedom. There's the two ways that you can approach that. Either it's an unwelcome ultimate end or an ultimate welcomed freedom. Those are two different ways that you can look at this, whether you're lost or whether you're found in Christ. I want to move on and, and look at this life as a process idea um, because uh, the preacher gives us some pretty interesting insight into how to live our lives. So there's death as a certainty. It's coming. Death is an event. It's coming. You can't plan it, but you can prepare for it. But how should we live while we are preparing for our deaths, so to speak? So he says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not your oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife you love. And he keeps on going on. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. For man does not know his time. So he paints this picture. Death is a reality. It's going to happen. It's going to come on you on suddenly. But here's what you should do in the meantime. So in between, in our dash, right, in between our birth and our death is the dash. It's, it's the life we're living. And next week we'll actually talk about that, how to check up on our dash, do a dash check. But right now the preacher is giving us some advice on how we should live our lives. And I want to make a point real quick and put it on the screen. Life is a process to be enjoyed. Life isn't just this um, struggle and we, uh, you know, crawl on our bellies for as long as we can and die, and then the universe dies a heat death as it continues to expand, and then everything is forgotten, and all is lost, and all is meaningless, and you should just really not enjoy anything, but you should be really cynical and negative and have a bad attitude the whole time, because it doesn't mean anything anyways. That's not the way that we should live our lives. And so the preacher gives us some really good insight that, that I want to walk us through. So life is a process to be enjoyed. The first thing is he gives this idea of enjoy the good things in life. So he gives you this idea of, of food and, and drink. So starting in verse 7, he says, Go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. So he's given us this idea that life is a process to be enjoyed, and we should enjoy the good things in life. And two of those things are right away food and drink. Um, this is this is kind of uh, kind of funny because sometimes we we look at it and we're like, really, are we supposed to enjoy things in life? Because sometimes when I enjoy something, I'm like, I kind of feel a little guilty. I feel a little dirty doing that, right? Have you ever felt that before? You're like, man, that was a really good glass of grape juice. I feel a little guilty over it. Or man, that was a really good piece of pie. I feel a little feel a little guilty over it. Maybe depends on how much pie you had. How big was that piece, right? Fractions are important. Was it a half? 
Maybe you should feel a little guilty about that. I don't know. Let your conscience be your guide as far as uh, it goes with uh, Edward's pie. But the idea is, is that there's good things for us to enjoy, and two of those good things that we've got to look at, because the preacher tells us to, is food and drink. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, he's not giving an open blank check to say, do whatever you want to, live however you want to, just be a hedonist, this pagan hedonist, because God's already approved of it. It doesn't matter. That's not the idea, but he does give this beautiful idea that we should eat and drink with joy. Um, and, and as Baptists, I think we can relate to that, uh, that first one more than the second one, I guess, sometimes. Uh, we, we have no problem with eating with joy. It brings us great joy to eat, right? And there's more than bread. Now, he's kind of a little boring there. Eat your bread. Like, well, we're going to have some sort of casserole in here, right? <laughs> eat your casserole and drink your juice with a merry heart, right? I think that's the Baptist version, if I was ever to have an uh, ESV slash Baptist uh, translation here. But he says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And so there's this idea that, that, that there's true pleasures that come. Um, and, and we shouldn't run away from these. And it's not just that God allows us to enjoy these things, but God actually wants us to enjoy these things. There are some people out there who think the Christian life is this really dull, boring life that you should be upset and sad all the time and looking for everyone who's having any fun and then judge them really hard and wag your finger at them. Have you ever been around a Christian like that? Maybe you've been a Christian like that and God's grown you, hopefully. But our concept of God has to be questioned. He isn't up there saying, do not enjoy that. That's right. I want you to have unleavened bread all the time. It should be crunchy. <laughs> That's not what God is doing. He gives us good things to enjoy, and I think that food is one of those. So the next time you eat a really good steak or a really good chicken sandwich or a really good Cobb salad or wherever you want to go with this, cheesecake, man. Ben and Jerry's, man. Maybe not the whole pint in one sitting. But in the next time you enjoy some good food, thank God for that. Because it's not just that he's allowing you to enjoy that. He's wanting you to enjoy that. Now, the caution has to be mentioned that every good thing is open to abuse, is it not? Now, personally, I'm not going to get on this soapbox here. But even with this whole wine thing, it's worth thinking through. Sometimes there's been such abuse that we swing so hard the other way with some of these things. But... I'm not here to talk about whether or not you should drink. As a good Baptist, I'm going to say don't, and then I'll leave it there. But it doesn't matter whether it's wine, whether it's actually drinking, or it's food. Good things are always open to abuse. And the good Christian life is lived in moderation. So even enjoying the good things, we ought to do it in moderation. Okay? And, and so, but the idea is that God wants us to enjoy these beautiful things. But then the, he moves on. There's a really interesting idea in verse 8. When you first read that, you're like, what is he talking about? Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Great. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? Well, it's actually a, a pretty interesting thing, uh, and, and I summarized it in one thing that I'll put on the screen. Take time to celebrate. So white clothes and oil in those times were symbols of celebration. It would be like, put on your tuxedo, put on your dancing dress, um, put some makeup on. Put some cologne on. Smell good. Look good. And go have some fun. 
You know, you, when you read the Bible, you're not looking for that kind of advice, are you? How often do we come to the Bible expecting it to tell us to dress up a little bit, make, some, make ourselves smell good, and go have some fun? But literally, that's what the preacher is saying to us. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So whenever they would get dressed up for a wedding or for a big feast, they, that's what you would wear. You would wear these white garments. That's, that was the time. And so it's like our tuxedo, like you got dressed up, you looking nice. And then the oil um, is, this, is this idea, that even in that hot climate, um, you want to put some oil on. You want to be looking good. You want to be smelling good. Mix some cinnamon in there. Mix something in there. Make, you, know, you don't want to be a bunch of stinky desert people. Like, yeah, smell good. Then you can get around your friends and have fun. He's like literally telling us to do that. But sometimes we get so busy that we think that, man, there's no time to ever enjoy life. And I don't think that that's, that's really it. Now, there's, there's, that, there's that pithy saying, if you will, that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think there's some truth to that. And in this sense, I think we have to stop and think about, man, yes, I'm going to die. Yes, this is not my home. Yes, there are eternal matters to put my energy towards. I should be busy sharing the gospel. I should be busy building up the church. I should be doing lots of things that are, that are, that are good, that have eternal value. But we shouldn't do that at the expense of not enjoying the life that God has given us right now. And so don't feel guilty about enjoying the good that God has given you even right now. And we should stop and celebrate. You know, if you have a team, if you're leading a team of people, and all you ever do is work, 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 and as you hit that milestone, you hit that accomplishment, but you don't stop to celebrate, you say, great, you did what I expected you to do, here's the next thing. What do you, what do you think people are going to, they're going to get burnt out. There's going to there's gonna be a lack of fellowship. You've got to take time to celebrate. So the, the, so the preacher is literally telling us how we should live our life as we prepare to, de- to die, is, is he says, enjoy life. In love, and I want to I want to move on to that. Love well, enjoy your wife means to love her well, find pleasure in her, and, and, and build a relationship with her. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. I love that he throws that back in there. That he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And there is a beauty in this that you should enjoy your life with your spouse. If you're not enjoying life with your spouse, you're not living life as it's meant to be lived. God has given us good things. He's given us food and drink, but he's also given us company. He's given us our spouses. So get away. Take some time to develop that relationship if you have a spouse. Because this is part of what it means to live a good life that, 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 that has intention behind it. And then he goes on to talk about working well. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that sandwich approach, right? Here's some good, here's some bad, here's some good. But the idea is, is that whatever you do for work, do it with your might and then enjoy it. And, and I, can't, I, can't, I can't emphasize this enough, that there is good in enjoying your work. Man, I love tinkering. I love building things. I love making things. And uh, Jerry and Mary Burns gave me a truckload of stuff. And we left their house last night. It looked like Sanford and Sons piled up and strapped on. And I was like, I thought I was only coming to get one thing. But we got all of these things. And it's great. And we're talking about all these things. He's like, you want a little piece of rubber? And I was like, yeah, you got some rubber? Yeah. 
And he's like, man, most people wouldn't get it, but you get it. I'm like, that's gold. When you're building something, you need a little piece of rubber for it, you know? And he, so we're going on. We're talking, you know, MacGyver stuff. Like, that's, that's cool, you know? But I can't tell you how many times when I'm in my shop and I'm building something and I'm making a machine work, I'm doing, I'm like, thank you, God. I love this. I love this. And there's nothing wrong in that. Now, I don't know what yours is. Maybe yours isn't getting lathes running. Maybe yours isn't fixing things. Maybe you like to cook, or maybe you like to draw, or maybe you like to do landscaping, or maybe you like to um, do something else. Whatever it is, do it with your might. And it's good to do that, and it's good to find enjoyment in that. Because it's part of living life with intention to prepare to die well. But I want to move as we end here. Life one day will end. Therefore, prepare to die well while you are living well. And you might ask, how? How do I do that? Well, I want you, I want you to think through this. I want to put this up here, and I want you to write it down. Don't let your life be incidental. Because there's this idea that we can be either intentional or incidental with our life. Be intentional with your life. That means wake up with purpose. That means everything that you set your mind to and your body to and your energy to, do it with intention. Don't be incidental. Be intentional. Because when you get to the end of your life, you don't get to add any to it. And I was having a conversation with someone recently, and they said that the years just got away. They're gone. I had every intention to do this, 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 and this. And I'm sure you can list all sorts of things in which you have intentions of doing. Well, if you're not intentional, literally intentional about it, it won't happen. And you'll get to the end, and they will never have gotten done, even though you absolutely intended to do it. So we have to live our life with intention versus incidentally. So I want you to think of two, two, two things that are really circling around one major theme. All right, um, I'm going to put one word up on the screen, and I want you to think on it for just a second, then I want to unpack it. I want to put this one word up there, debt. Now, debt can mean a lot of different things, but I'm pretty sure you've got the right meaning in your head just as you start to think about it. I believe part of living life intentionally is to look at debt correctly. Um, Live in a way that doesn't leave behind financial burdens for your loved ones. Because I think part of what we've got to do is we've got to get our state in order early and often. In order to prepare to die well is get your things in order early and often. Um, and, and part of that is avoiding substantial financial burdens. Um, because you know what the truth of the Bible tells us? Is that, that the, the lender is always going to be a slave to the one who's lending. The, the borrower is always slave to the lender. And this is the truth. So, so think through that. But even more importantly, trust and follow Christ so as not to die in spiritual debt. Trust and follow Christ so as not to die in spiritual debt. So there's a way in which you can live your life carelessly and rack up all sorts of financial debt and you die and your family has to take care of that and that's just a mess for everybody. And that's important to look at that and get your stuff in order. But most important is to not die in spiritual debt. If you die not knowing Christ, there is no time left to pay for that. There is no time to make that up. There's no time to make a change in your trajectory. So as you prepare to die well, as you're living well, as you enjoy the good things in life, as you take time to celebrate, as you love well, as you work well, Don't be incidental with your life, but be intentional with your life. And so as I close this morning, that's what I want us to think about as we we wrap this this up. 
So if you will, stand with me. And I want you to think, once again, about your death. I want you to remember Mr. Donald Peters who bought that winning lottery ticket and only two hours later has a heart attack working in his yard. You do not know when God is gonna call you home. And so there's a way in which we gotta live intentionally to prepare for the event that is certain to come to all, which is death. But in the meantime, there's much good to be enjoyed, there's much work to be done, and there's much to be thankful for. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the message that, that we have of hope through your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him so that we wouldn't die in spiritual debt. Father, may we take the advice of Colath, we take the advice of the preacher of Ecclesiastes. That as we look at life and we understand that death is certain for all and we know not the hour, that that causes us to have pause and to question the way in which we are living our life. Are we living a life that's incidental? Or are we living a life that's intentional? Are we intentional to walk according to your precepts? According to your word? Are we being intentional with those around us to share your gospel message, the gospel of, of, of hope? Are we intentional to live lives that are gratifying the spirit rather than gratifying the desires of the flesh? Are we living lives that we can be proud of on that day when we are on our deathbed and we are so tired and we are so weak and we don't care about anything that the living cares about anymore because we are about to cross over into eternity. So Father, when that day comes for us in this room, may we from this day until that day live with intention to bring you glory, to draw near to you, to be holy people, to love well, to live well, to work well, so that our lives may not be in vain, but they may be lives filled with love, filled with enjoyment and satisfaction in you as we long for our true